You're listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Sardor Akhmedov. Sardor is the co-owner and managing partner of Jafton, a mobile app development agency. He's also an angel investor at Fathom.ai, which we may have used. And he's got experience running software development agencies working with Fortune 500 companies and beyond. Sardor was the youngest speaker ever to speak on Synergy Global, the world's largest business forum, and at Podcast Movement, the largest global podcast conference, sharing the stage with people like Mark Cuban, Gary Vee, and Richard Branson. Sardor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Laura. Excited to be here. Now, before we get into all things app development and beyond, what's your fun fact for us today? Yeah, so about two years ago, my sister and I did a genetics test on one of those like 23andMe, I don't remember which exactly it was, but I discovered that I'm 17% Indian, first of all, and about 15% Iranian. So it wasn't too big of a surprise because Uzbeks are very much a nation that was worldwide and traveling and and being conquered, conquering other places, so it's a mix of blood. But the most fun part of it was actually discovering my aunt that I had no idea about and like literally showed that she was living in Philadelphia. Oh, of all places. Right. Yeah. Crazy. So we're both from Uzbekistan, ended up in the US, didn't know each other. And apparently we're blood related. And some questions to my grandfather, who's rest in peace. You know? <laughs> but uh, my mom didn't know about her and they looked very, very alike. So it was obvious that the test was right. So it's crazy that, yeah. That, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so actually like a first degree aunt, aunt, not a second or third. Yeah, it said first cousin first, but like age-wise, it was obvious that she's probably my sure. mom's age. Right. Could have been a first cousin once removed or something. Probably, yeah. I don't know how that happened, what happened. How crazy. You found a long lost relative that you didn't even know you had. Exactly. Apparently, uh, she was adopted by a family when she was a kid and she didn't know about it until her mother was like on her deathbed. She told her about it. And then she started looking for her relatives, which is why she took this test. And the craziest part is that we might all have more relatives that we don't know about until they take that test and they register in the database. So they only know about people that took the test, right? Right, right. And this is not sponsored by 23andMe, but... <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the app was that you use, which may or may not have been that. But crazy, I have not done one of those tests yet, but I do know people who have. So amazing to just show all the things that we don't know about ourselves and our own histories. Well, tell us about something that you do know a lot about, which is your 30-second elevator pitch. Tell us about Jafton. Yep. So Jafton is a top software and mobile app development agency. We're headquartered in New York, been in business for 10 years, have 120 developers on staff, and we help companies build software if they don't have their own developers on staff or they need more resources. That's when they come to us. So for companies that want to build their very own app, not just use some other platform, you're the guy. Exactly. Yep. It's when the question is build versus buy and they decide build. Now, I would imagine that there's a lot of different places where 
building a company like this, especially with so many accolades that you received on the youngest of this, youngest of that, youngest on all these different platforms. Was there ever a little bit of imposter syndrome stick that kind of came through? Because I feel like that's something that people who, especially when you're the only one, the first who does this, the youngest of this, you're the ist of whatever the category is, that there's a, a little bit of that imposter syndrome that, that creeps in. Did that ever happen? To be honest, it still happens. You know, I have that imposter syndrome even internally in my company, which is, mm -hmm. I think, where we can talk a little bit about how you can get vulnerable with your team members on this. But I did have that before more than sure. I do now, but it's still present, you know, especially when I introduce myself on these networking events. Mm. And why is that? Like, all right, oh, Jaffna, okay, so what, are you a developer? No, mm -hmm. I'm one of the owners. Oh, you're the owner. Oh, okay. Oh, you guys are a startup. Because they see my age, they actually assume like this is either a very small startup, like a make-believe thing, like a lot of people my age do. Yeah. Or they think that I am an employee at the company, right? So it's... Right. And I guess it's there because that's what people assume. And I always have that in my back thought that, they, hey, I have to tell that, hey, I'm not an employee. This is my company. And it is actually not a small company. Okay, so now, since most people are not looking at us on the screen, they're listening just in the audio-only platform, now I kind of have to ask because it's been referenced a couple of times. So how old are you? I'm currently 25. 25. So yeah, he probably looks like a lot of people's kid out there, their sons and or other relatives on that younger end. So there's ageism, just like there's sexism, just like there's racism, all that kind of stuff. And you are on the lucky, one of the lucky people who get to be on the business end of that. So clearly it has not held you back so much. That being said, you mentioned the word vulnerability earlier. When have you allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team? And how did that impact your relationship with them? Because it's got to be hard at 25 to run a company that size. For sure. So last time I remember being vulnerable and how it actually turned out to be good at the end was around end of last year, we received this um, potential client who was very, very valuable. Somebody we've been following for a while and respect a lot. And there was this natural desire to compromise a lot just to get the deal, right? So I realized at one point when I presented the quote to them, I overcompromised to the point where the deal was no longer good enough to take, right? It was too overpromising. So long story short, what we had to do is after the quote was already given, we had to come back to the client and tell them, admit to them that, hey, actually, we overpromised you. We have to redo the proposal. Can you give us a few more days or redo and give you the real proposal, right? And that was a hard thing to do because we already promised something and the person is very, very influential. But they were very understanding. They said, we respect that. We came off vulnerable in front of them. And the end, we ended up taking the deal on the better terms because they respected that we didn't get ourselves into something that we were not comfortable with. But plus, we admitted our own mistake. Hmm. And we, I mean, me and my business partner, right? But it was actually me leading the deal initially. So it was more of my kind of thing that I did at first. But anyways, at the end, that vulnerability actually created more respect from the client. Sure, because they know you're going to be honest with them at that point. You're not going to cut corners later. You're not going to try to cover up other things. You had the integrity to just say, look, I, this is not a conversation I want to have and not one you're going to probably want to hear. But yeah, that number that you agreed to a few minutes ago, yeah, you can't have that. So <laughs> let's let's go back to the negotiating table and start all over again. So I imagine that would not have been a fun direction to go, but it sounds like it created a more trusting relationship in the end. 100%. Nice. And then 
What about the time when you needed to, on the other side, assert yourself more powerfully? Yeah, it was actually with another client. We've also gotten into the deal that we further on realized was not a good deal. So when signing a second contract, usually you're assumed to just continue under the same terms, same, same pricing, or increase it a little bit. We had to increase it quite a bit, and we had to renegotiate that, and we had to really insist on that, even knowing that that might lead to loss of a deal. But that was like a hard thing to do. We had to come and like really be assertive about that. But at the end, again, same technique, I think, like just keeping it real, keeping it true to yourself. People can tell when you're not taking advantage of them. You're not just being assertive to take advantage of them, take, take advantage of the situation, but you're doing it out of necessity. I think when you do that assertiveness out of necessity rather than trying to take advantage of that, which was the case, people can kind of sense that. And it sure. actually went well at the end. So in this case, it was a little bit different in that you had had an original contract, which you did fulfill as promised, but it ended up being more time and effort for your company than they had actually paid for. And that, of course, you can maybe afford to make that mistake once, but it's not sustainable if you want to stay in business for very long. So instead of just being able to do a copy paste, uh, you know, rubber stamp, let's do it again contract, which is what they were hoping for, you had to... Uh, say, yeah, you know, that first deal, you can't have it again. We're going to revise the term second time around. Did I understand that correctly? Exactly. Yep. That's what happened. Which is always a challenge. Speaking of challenges, this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So, Sardor, this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would say there's probably something that you've been wanting to do, most likely asking somebody something where you know the answer is going to be no. In the next 24 hours, go and ask that person for that, where you know most likely it's good, the answer is going to be no, and see what the results are going to be. There was this so, challenge where somebody tried that for, I think, 100 times straight, and they were not able to get 100 no's. Really? Yeah. Where did you see it? It was a YouTube experiment, I believe. And there's this also psychological test on like, when you're asking somebody something, it's not just you feeling the pressure of asking, it's them feeling the pressure of also being asked. So most likely they're going to comply. Most people do, right? People don't like to say no. Very true. People do not like to say no. So for me, like whenever I'm asking now, I consider that it's not just me feeling bad to ask. It's also them and that pressure. So most likely they will comply. Of course, there's a balance of not trying to get advantage of that, but that would be my challenge. All right. So ask the question of someone, ask the favor, ask the whatever it is, even when you think the answer is no, when you are almost sure the answer is going to be no, ask anyway, just to see what happens. Exactly. I think for something like that, my instinct to put as far as a little bit of advice for everybody else out there who's willing to take that challenge, and I hope everyone does, because it's only one question you got to ask. That's it. Can be done in 30 seconds. Don't telegraph in your voice and in your body language, or for that matter, even in your words, the fact that you expect the answer to be no, right? You don't want to say, I know you're probably going to say no to this, but don't put the idea in their head or don't say it all sheepishly like, I don't do, maybe, I mean, you know, is, would it be okay? Just if you're all wishy-washy about asking, they're going to wonder why you're wishy-washy and that's going to already put the barriers up going, okay, wait a minute. What is it you're asking me for that you're afraid to ask me for? I'm, something I'm probably going to say. You're already predisposing the other person to say the no that you're trying not to get, at which point it's sabotaging the challenge. You are not allowed to sabotage your own challenge, everybody out there. If he's going to levy it and you're going to take it, got to do it as intended. So is that okay that I put that caveat on, Sardor? Totally, of course. All right. 
Now, what about this? Tell me about, look, you've been on massive stages at way younger than most people have ever been on, well, any stage for that matter. So I have to imagine that nerves kick in once in a while. So what's the most nervous you ever felt before a presentation or a speaking engagement? And what did you learn from the experience? I mean, I still do feel nervous, right? Regardless of doing this. I have two or three podcasts every week. I have like an event that I speak at every week. But probably the most nervous I've been was my school play that I had to not only perform at, but I was the one who wrote the play. Oh my gosh. And how, what grade? That was senior year of high school. Oh my gosh. Graduation time. Yeah. But that was the biggest challenge. We had to prepare the entire year, write the play, and then perform the leading role in that. Holy cow. What class was this for? That was for AP theater, I believe. Oh, that explains it. Yeah. Advanced theater. Yeah. So that was another challenge I made for myself that I was a super shy kid and I had to like take theater. I took it for two years. In the end, I had to present my own play on the stage, playing it, all words written by me, scenario, everything, right? So that's probably when I was the most nervous. But the good thing was I was the one who wrote the play, so I could change some words. (laughs) You could ad lib it and nobody would know or care or ding you for it. Exactly. That's a lot of work to be, have to write a play and memorize it and do the acting. Was it a, like a one-man show? Just, or were there it was characters? a one-man show with one or two extras allowed to be at it. There was a lot of pressure. The entire school was watching. I mean, the school principal, everybody was watching. That would be a lot. And you mentioned you're originally from Uzbekistan, Uzbek, So, And you came to the States when? A year before that performance, uh, 2014. So you came here when you were a sophomore or junior? I was a junior. Yeah, I was a junior. You were a junior in high school. And now, okay, I'm going to ask a couple of probing questions here. How, did you speak English fully at the time or? Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I had a thicker accent back then and like less of a vocabulary probably. But I mean, I graduated from the U.S. school. I mean, initially sure. in the English class with other international students. And mm-hmm. then in the second year, I actually scaled up to study with the Americans in the class. And I was actually first in my class in my writing and everything. Amazing. Okay. So, but you did already arrive. A lot of people who come to the U.S. in high school have varying degrees of English proficiency, which just makes it that much scary, but it still was not your native language. So to have to write the plays and act and do whatever else, foreign country, all new students, you're the new kid in the block and on the stage, I would imagine that would be intimidating. Totally. Yeah, it was. It was. So it sounds like you're the kind of person who just likes to throw themselves into really scary situations. Yeah. I mean, I grew up like learning how to swim by just jumping in the water. (laughs) Nobody pushed me. Right. So that's still my character. Yeah. And I love taking challenges. Yeah. When in doubt, just take the plunge. Oh my goodness. So then what about you've been building these companies, you've got 120 something developers alone who are working for you. So there's a lot of hiring involved and that's just in the lower echelons, but there's also all the different uh, levels above that and the different companies you've worked with. So in all the interviewing that you've done in hiring people, when you've interviewed candidates, especially for a leadership role, have you ever thought, wow, this person really has it? And what was that it factor and how did you recognize it? Yeah. So for me now, after so many interviews, I look for the it for me is the dedication to work and the attitude. Attitude meaning, to be more specific, yeah, that dedication. Because if you just hire for skill, you can get very skilled people. But if you're looking for more of a long-term thing, you know, skill can be acquired, can be, you know, there's a learning curve. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes shorter. But that dedication for me is it. 
I'll tell an anecdote of recent hire in my sales team. I was looking for salespeople and my HR was giving me some candidates. I was not happy. You know, some of them had good experience, some of them. And then this one person reached out to me, booked a, booked a consultation call with me. I do paid consultations. And on that call, he we started talking about the job and, you know, it just clicked. He really wanted to take the job. I said, all right, let's talk. He was impatient and he actually flew into Miami to meet with me in person. Oh, wow. Prove that he was serious about the job, right? So for me, that was it, right? I mean, when I say dedication, I mean that kind of dedication when they are so serious that I didn't ask them. They flew in from Arizona to my city and mm. showed me that, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to take this job and I'm going to show you that I'm really good at it, right? So to me, if I was a client, I knew I would be sold and that would be his potential job. So he did really sell me on this. And he was a sales professional, business development, not app development professional. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So, and app development is probably a little different, although attitude still plays a role, I think. I mean, dedication to work, it just shows some people are just much better at it, even if they have lower skill. They'll work extra hours to get things done. So, well, everybody, depending on the role, will have some other way to do what sounds like was taking massive action and saying, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, that here's what I'm willing to do to help you be successful. Here's my contribution to the company. And if it is now, did he tell you he was coming or did he just like knock on your door one day? No, he told me when he was getting a ticket, said, I'm getting a ticket for these dates. Are you going to be in town? Right. Mm. Like he asked because I was planning on traveling. So I had to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also a good test for him to see if he was going to buy a ticket to fly out and see you and you to say, I'm not going to be here. Try a different time. Thanks for the gesture, but don't bother coming as opposed to whatever other response you could have had. That's a good test to see how you handle those kinds of things and if he would want to work for you. For sure. Yeah, it's both ways. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people forget that interviews really are two-way streets. One person may be hiring another, but you still want to make sure that you want them to hire you in yeah, the first you place. Sell them on yourself first. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Well, lastly, what's something that you do to create a little bit more fun for your team over at Jafton? So we have a mindset of tackling everything with the mindset of who do we get to do this instead of how do we get to do this? Right. So when fun came up as a question, we don't know how to create fun. We're not professionals. We're not a event company or entertainment company. So what we did is we hired a dedicated person for this. And her title is Chief Happiness Officer. Well, that's pretty committed. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Right. So while happiness is a different thing for everybody, her job is to make the workplace more fun. She organizes events. She organizes birthdays. She makes sure everybody gets a cake on their birthday or hmm. gets a celebration on even if it's Slack, like online. Or if they're out of town, we'll ship out like a cake to them. So things like that, that really makes sure that people in our company are enjoying being at the company. Yes. I, I would think even those kinds of things take a lot of effort, especially when you have a remote culture and everybody's in different places. It's not like, okay, we're going to bring a cake into the office for everyone to share. You're shipping them out all over the place and trying to connect with people and have them. I would imagine that would be fun, but also a lot more work than it probably sounds like. For sure. I'm sure she enjoys her job. <laughs> and how do people respond to that, to having a chief happiness officer, to the kinds of things that you do together, whether it's birthday celebrations or other kinds of fun and events? Well, people love it. I mean, we have some team members. They don't, like I went to our office like a month ago on a weekend. They were hanging out at the office, like just playing games and whatnot. So 
And we have seven days access to the office. If anybody mm. wants 24 seven, actually. So they loved it. I mean, they needed that because especially during the pandemic, when we had to close down the office, people were desperate for something that's more interactive. It's more engaging. It's more human because for a lot of workspaces, work became just a transactional thing, right? Water cooler conversations. So people appreciate that a lot. How do you make it less transactional and more engaged, especially when it is? Look, so I'm going to just lay out gross stereotypes here and you can tell me where they are accurate and where they aren't. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, the images that with developers and, you know, that kind of group as opposed to a bunch of salespeople who are a lot more extroverted and more chatty and whatever else that, no, the developers actually kind of like staying home by themselves, not interacting with people, not having conversation. Just let me do my work. Leave me alone. I will submit it when it's done. And as long as it's good, pay me extra or something along those lines. But that's kind of all I need. So was there any resistance to the happiness? Like, what's the right word? Like institutionalized fun? Like, you're going to have fun and you're going to like it, even if you don't want to have fun. Was there any pushback? Or how do we get the introverts to come out of their shells and to actually engage with each other? What's some of the secret? For sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, we don't have like 100% attendance rate on these events and nor do we require that, right? So sure. to opt in. But you're right. The stereotype is actually correct because they are not very extroverted. They like to stay and work from home. Most of them do. I mean, probably like 80% of our team still works from home. You know, they prefer to we have access to the office, but they, they don't come. But even for your introverted, you're not very outgoing, you actually do need that small group of people around you. And some of our employees have been with us for seven, eight years. So their best friends are at that workplace. You know, they actually need that. So there is a resistance, but they do come, even if it's less often, and hang out with their friends that are their coworkers. And is that something that they do on their own? Or is that something that the chief happiness officer helps to facilitate? It's a mix. You know, when they go like out somewhere, everybody's invited. Most people come, but then there's also like subgroups, of course. Sure. Three, four people that hang out together all the time. And there's another group that hangs out together all the time. Sure. like split up. So it's a combination of both. I mean, the thing is people are going to socialize and meet up and, you know, we've had like couples and families created sure. in the company, right? Of course, that, that happens on its own, but you do need to systemize it too, you know, because some people will never initialize things, you know, and if you just let it go, they might not feel like interacting enough or they're happy enough at work. I would imagine that's a hard balance to walk. On the one hand, people won't initiate that kind of interaction on their own. They don't want to be forced to, but they don't want to be left out. And it's like, help me help you. But they should have options. You know, if they want to have fun, should be available to them. And I wish work was all about fun, right? But sure. <laughs> not to balance them. And that's a whole other topic for another day is how to make work fun or, you know, for that matter, is it just a matter of doing what you like? That's a different topic, different show. But Sardar, I have loved learning from you and I can't wait to uh, look up a, a whole bunch of other things that you had referenced before as far as some of those speaking engagements, frankly. I want to know what you were talking about with Mark Cuban and Gary Vee and all those kinds of people too. But for now, how can people learn more about you and Jafton? So you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's my first and last name, Sardor Akhmedov. On search, you should see me. Go on our website, jafton.com for our company or on Instagram. It's my last name, akhmedov.co, akhmedov.co. So yeah, these are three most popular ways to get in touch either with myself or our company. And I'm looking forward to connecting. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it was great to have you again. And we hope to have you back again soon. 
And so everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so that we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.